Welcome to Inside Parliament. We certainly have the best theme music for a podcast when it comes to politics. There ain't Feels no like doubt about skin that. Hutch. Love it. We love that. Uh, <laughs> we are coming to you a little bit early this week uh, because we're all out on the road. Uh, and this campaign, it's writ day. Yeah, it's writ day. That's it. Parliament's over. Finished. So we are. Um, we you can are, see we're having a party with all the booze and the yeah. party food here. And Katie's, out, Katie's she's gone. She's already out on the road somewhere. So we will. Uh, it's just me and Andrea today. Uh, and we've, we've got another crazy uh, three days to go through. I was just looking at this list, Andrea, and thinking, oh, Peter Dunn, that's right. After 33 years as an MP, Peter Dunn has suddenly sensed the game is up. I was getting a signal from people who I've, whose views I've respected over the years that maybe it's time to move on. This follows a shock one news Colmar Brunton poll in Ahariu showing him well behind Labour's Greg O'Connor. I had to ask myself the pretty hard question, Am I really up for going for this for a twelfth time? For the last nine years, United Future has provided a crucial one-seat parliamentary buffer for National. We haven't always agreed, uh, but he's always uh, committed his support to confidence and supply. And National invested political capital in Ohariu this election, advising supporters they vote for Mr Dunn over its candidate, Brett Hudson. It's one letter and one electorate, so no, not a circus. I mean, Peter Dunn's made a... An unexpected decision. As for Ohariu now, it's wide open again. It's going to be hard work for the next five weeks between now and the election. I'm confident that, uh, that we can win the seat and we can win the party vote again. Peter Dunn entered Parliament in 1984. He's been a minister in both Labour and national governments. And in 2002, a strong debate even helped United Future get nearly 7% of the vote. Probably about time he um, stepped aside for someone else. I'll miss his presence. I feel it's a shame because it takes away um, competition away from the electorate. Peter Dunn isn't blaming the so-called Jacinda effect for the mood change in his electorate, although he believes her leadership is overhyped. Politics is about the hard grind of substantive policy, achievement and hard work. It's not about smiles and waves. So one of Parliament's true survivors walking away today with a record of 11 electorate wins, zero losses. It felt like, I mean, it was a huge story, but it felt like in the context of this election, it just felt, oh, it's another big story. And he was so <laughs> blasé about it. Yeah. Just like this press release comes out at midday and then it was like, I rang him and he was like, oh, no, there's no press conference. Mm. There's a guy been in Parliament 33 years. I know. Well, I think he, because um, I talked to him about it afterwards, and I thought, no, you dropped a bit of a bombshell. And he was, he just came to it over time, and he, he was surprised. Had to be another poll, didn't it? Yeah, well, he was surprised that everyone was so surprised. But then when someone exits Parliament mm. before an election, after, you know, the three decades, it's Let, Let's walk through this, because, so the One News Colmar Brunton poll, mm. which was, what, two weeks ago, a week mm. and a half ago, it had Greg O'Connor on 48%. And uh, Dunn was well back in the 30s, mm -hmm. I think. Not that far off where he was in previous years. But the complicating factor here is that Greens weren't sounding, yeah. so all those votes were going to go to the Labour. But he must have got another poll or something that just... I don't think something so. I think, came were, I think the writing was on the wall. He saw the Jacinda effect. He just... I just think he couldn't be bothered anymore. It was yeah. going to be such a hard slog. He knew he was going to lose, so what's the point? And he, he said himself he wanted to go out in a more dignified way. How annoyed must National be, though? Well, they, they'd sent the letters out. Absolutely. It was very embarrassing was for National. And, you know, I imagine there's going to be an awful lot of um, recalculating and worrying about what this means, trying to shore up the Maori Party, because mm. um, it really throws into 
question their conf post-election configuration. But there's a wider issue here, which I think is quite interesting, because I remember a couple of years ago, Peter Dunn was talking about being the Lib Dems of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So rebranding the party, new, but that hasn't worked. United Future is gone. The Lib Dems in the UK, melt, absolute meltdown. And, uh, you know, I wonder what that says about sort of sensible centrist policy, uh, parties. Well, he made that point, didn't he? He had a little bit of a flick on his mm -hmm. way out. He said, you know, politics isn't about smiles and waves, which was clearly directed at Jacinda Ardern on her campaign launch the two days before, or the day before. Yeah, and he, he called it super, superficial was Pretty the much. word that he used. And then, obviously, there's this also this issue, and we've seen this in smaller European parties, and to a certain extent in New Zealand too, when smaller minority parties hook up with larger majority parties and go into government, it usually spends, spells the end or a, a pretty... Um, traumatic or you know turmoil for the party, and in this case, United Future hasn't survived it. Well, and you've got to want an act is obviously, despite David Seymour's efforts to drop the f bomb and get himself some attention, is finding it pretty difficult. Not to say that he he'll probably win Epsom, but would he bring would he bring anybody else in? Is a big question. Probably not. He talked today. I, I saw him at the Business New Zealand Deloitte Business New Zealand conference um, election conference, and he talked. He's, he's quite funny. I mean, he's he is enjoyable to to oh, watch. He's a good yeah, he's done quite well. and he was talking about um, taking over the leadership of ACT because the MC introduced him and ran through all the previous leaders. Yeah. and he talked about he said it was fair to say when I took on ACT it was a bit of a fixer upper, <laughs> and so I think he thinks he he has rebuilt the credibility. But I don't think anyone in that audience bought the idea of growing the party. I don't think anyone no. feels like he's going to go anywhere beyond Epsom. And United Future was never going to go beyond Uharu. And, yeah, so I, so what does it mean? I mean, New Zealand, for, I wasn't here in New Zealand at the time, but New Zealand first didn't fare very well. Uh, and no. Post being in government. No, it they took had them to spell more, out. Yeah, to rebuild their party, it took a while. So it's an interesting calculation to make, I guess, when you're a smaller party. Do you, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. Well, that's that old Winston thing about him saying he'll go on the crossbenches and doesn't want to go in. But I don't, I don't think that's, well, who knows what, I don't know what Winston's up to at the moment. And that's, that's an interesting story because what, He's sort of been a bit non-existent for the last couple of well, days. Well, he's been missing in action for the first two or three days of the week. No Which one could track him down. Actually, quite a big period when you <coughs> think of the campaign. To it be, is, and, you know. and it's not just us that have noticed it because, you know, as gallery reporters do, we're all out in the campaign trail together and, and there was a fair bit of speculation. Everyone was musing over what it could mean because no one could get hold of Winston. Mm. Um, I'm sure he'll come back firing. Just on the done thing, I mean, if you looked at our last poll... Um, you know, the difference, he was the difference between a hung parliament mm. or Labour and New Zealand First being able to do it alone. If he's gone on our poll, then Labour and New Zealand First could do it alone. So, I mean, it's actually pretty critical, his seat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the entire election landscape has changed. And I suppose he was the last barrier, really, to, he, that's removed the last barrier to, to Labour really doing it. In do you this think the Maori Party would be worried? I would be very worried if I was the Maori Party. Very worried. Um, there's this issue of Tiorof level seat, which we keep, keep coming back to yeah. in this podcast. We keep talking about, but I do think it's really crucial. Um, I guess the Maori Party will be really desperate to, you know, they'll feel like they have more of a sway now because there'll be, mm -hmm. you know, there'll be less. Uh, less bottom lines for National can't, to deal with. National can't play them off against each other. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, if I was the Maori Party, I'd, I'd be very concerned. Because, it, just because it's because that Jacinda effect. 
and Labour don't are not interested in doing a deal. Well, as far as Kelvin's concerned, they're not interested in doing a deal with the Maori Party. So they they could be they could be out in the political wilderness for some years. Now. Well, let's have a little bit of a flashback because um, it was, of course, Peter Dunn's. I guess one of his greatest moments <coughs> was when, as leader of United Future back in two thousand and two, was it or two thousand and five? Like two thousand and two. He got 7% of the vote. He did. I mean, it was a remarkable career over three decades. But I just want to make one last point, because yes. I've been thinking about this. Um, we've seen a lot of retirements from politics yes. in the last year or so. Uh, long-serving MPs like Annette King, Trevor Mallard, Morris Williamson, Murray McCulley. And I've been thinking about this for a while. And I wonder, I'm just going to throw this out here, but I wonder, Story should out. we start putting a term? Should politicians be like the American president? You can only serve a couple of terms of parliament. You can't. Politics cannot be a job for life anymore. It's an interesting idea, um, particularly when you've got younger politicians. I remember talking to—I won't name them—but talking to some of the young, uh, like millennials, who are looking were looking at coming into parliament, and that's something I'd certainly talk to them about. They didn't see it as um, a lifetime. Mm-hmm. The ones that I talked to, mm. they thought their <laughs> argument was like. Oh, don't give me a hard time because I'm young and coming to Parliament, and I'm coming in to make change now, and then I'll go and do something else. Absolutely. So it's quite well, an interesting idea. He did. It was it was a, a milestone for him. He wanted to do it. He made it to Prime Minister, did it for a while, and then off he went. It was but never. A the flip side in America, of course, is they do have senators and and congressmen and women who stay there till they're like ninety. Absolutely, and <laughs> and I'm not. I mean, I'm. I was. It was just a small comparison. I'm not. I'm not. No, saying no, that. no. It's an interesting one because. But, but is should politics really be a job for life? Can you really affect change if if you know, you're just clinging on to par. No, you do not want to be clinging on. No, I don't think you do. No, I don't think you do. Let's have a look. Let's have, let's have a throwback to the worm because it was Peter Dunn's. <laughs> let me rephrase that. It was the worm <laughs> loving Peter Dunn yeah. in the election debate that got him 7% the of the vote. The worm is very fond of him. They're undecided voters, and their role last night was to judge the eight leaders with the help of the worm. And the worm wiggled in very different directions. Immigration was a winner for Winston Peters. Look, we're taking seven times in real terms what Australia takes. And Jeanette Fitzsimons didn't fare well on the subject of marijuana legislation. If we create a law where there is no penalty for adult possession of small quantities, then we will destroy the black market. But Peter Dunn had the opposite effect. It's time to take a clear stand against decriminalising cannabis. I think it's one of the themes of the whole night, actually, was people who said words like common sense and fairness and balancing and so on uh, were, did well during the night. And I think At the end of the debate, the 100 undecided voters chose who they thought had performed best. Winston Peters and Peter Dunn both showing a clear positive trend. Both of them non-aligned. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you've got floating voters. Non-aligned people appeal to them. The next televised election debate will be amongst the minor party leaders on Friday night. All right, let's change tack now a little bit, Andrea. In the course of all the, um, I guess, those political bombshells that were dropping, you had a very, in- very interesting story this week about mental health. Um, remarkable story, really. Uh, someone speaking out about uh, being affected by by um, suicide and by a tragedy, really. Um, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it was it was a really really sad story, and um, I, you know, I just came away from. I spent a bit of time interviewing uh, Alicia Simpson, um, and I just came away feeling that she was very brave and inspirational. Kim and Lynette Simpson in happier times before he stabbed her to death with scissors and killed himself in 2014. He felt like the only way out was to take his own life. Kim Simpson was at the end of his tether over business worries, fears he had cancer and the suicide of his younger brother. 
I think mum possibly got on the way of him doing what he needed to go and do to himself. Days before their deaths, his worried GP sent police to the Oamaru holiday park they owned to remove Mr Simpson's guns. He was also referred to Dunedin Hospital and told to pack a bag for admission. Apparently dad changed his story when he got there um, and said that he was no longer feeling suicidal. If he got the help that he needed, that yes, he may have gone on to um, take his own life, but we would still have our mum. Mr Simpson killed himself in the early hours of the next day. Police only found his wife's body when they went to break the news of his death. They also found their two youngest sons still asleep and a suicide note which read, Ring 111, I'm sorry for what I've done to mum. I loved her so much and you both, but we were going nowhere. Love, Dad. Bye. Alicia Simpson has since received a formal apology from Southern District Health Board. In a statement, they told One News... A review was undertaken at the time of this sad event. The panel made four recommendations which have been implemented. This included increasing psychiatrist time, a review of staff training and improving the way the service connects with families after a serious event. Alicia Simpson is now backing calls for a full inquiry into stretched mental health services. I've gone through the last three years probably feeling ashamed, you know, for, for what has happened to my parents. but. That hasn't really gotten to me anywhere. She's now hoping that sharing her story will help others and help her move on. Alicia spoke out because um, she felt that the care afforded to her father um, wasn't good enough. And it's this um, perennial issue we keep seeing about stretched mental health services, about people, particularly in rural, isolated areas like they were, being unable to access the service they need, the services that they need, get the help that they need. And of course, he'd already expressed suicidal thoughts. He was in that high risk. He was 52, which is males of yep. that age are in a high risk. Um, and Alicia simply said to me that she didn't want anyone else to go through that. She had seen the pain that it's wrought on her and her brothers, and um, she wanted to speak out because she just, I think she just, it, she felt like her story should and be she a wake felt, up call. She felt, you know, that she felt that there needed to be need to be an inquiry into the mental health. She system. does. That was one of the points that she she made. Um, she was really keen to get that point across. There have been Labour, the Greens, um, Yes We Care, the advocacy group have been calling for a royal commission of inquiry into mental health services, um, and she wanted to back that up and say she thinks it's necessary. And to be fair to the government, I mean they they have ruled out an inquiry. Mm, they have, but yep. they have rolled out a fairly substantial policy, $100 million. Um, 17 initiatives. 17 initiatives. And look, I think there's obviously an argument from some that that's not enough. Mm. But I think those 17 initiatives, from what I can see, are reasonably substantial and that they have been well thought out. I mean, I think Coleman, that Minister Coleman, has, has clearly put a lot of effort and energy into it. Mm. Uh, uh, Peter Gluckman has been responsible for a lot of that stuff. Mm. So the government's clearly aware that there's big issues in mental health. Absolutely. And so the issue becomes whether they are doing enough. Uh, they're I certainly think, trying. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, and it's whether they're making enough resources available. Yeah. But I think, I think, and Jonathan Coleman will, has said this himself, that across the Western world, um, there have been a, a huge rise in demand for mental health services. Now, why that is, um, I'm not sure, but I think there was definitely growing awareness that people speak out and they seek help and they, and they're, and they so don't they're keep more these... More willing to speak yet. Yeah, they don't keep mm. these problems bottled up and so I suppose in a way we should welcome that more people are seeking out services but 
It's making them governments available. Governments have got to, are going to have, to have to come up with more money. But it is a wider issue too. I mean, you've, you've been doing the stories about um, Daniel's cochlear implants. Yeah, so I've got a wee bit of an update on that, yes. actually. And it, I, I'm afraid I do not have good news on that score. Um, Danielle Mackay received it. She came to Parliament last week. Mm. Um, and then she received a letter the following day saying that she was being rejected. She'd had a review um, and she was being rejected for a cochlear implant purely because, again... There aren't the resources available. There are 150 people on the list ahead of her. She actually, at this point, wasn't even on the surgical waiting list. Um, and and her, her priority is not greater than theirs. And so the outcome of that will be she's probably going to go deaf. So, here, so here's the issue with the health, isn't it? Because... It's always, there's this issue about whether or not the, the government's funding health enough. National says, and they can argue with some justification, that they have increased health spending. They have increased it. That is a fact. Now, of course they have, absolutely. But have they increased it to keep pace with democra- dem- sorry, demographic change? Because we are in an ageing population now. And the g- demands on health services are so much more. They're going to grow exponentially as we get older and we expect more treatment into our old age. So I think it's do- in some ways, do they just... So Labor, Labor obviously says they're going to spend more on health and presumably that we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about that when they roll their fiscal numbers out a bit better over the next week or so. But it's almost like um, governments are going to have to be have a proper discussion and a conversation with the public that health is just going to cost way more money. Mm-hmm. We've got an ageing population, as you say, and they... I mean, nationals. One one argument from national is that they have they have been tighter with the funding, arguably, or, or maybe been a bit more um, stringent in what gets funding, and you know more accountability, and that they've been able to drive more efficiency, and therefore they haven't needed to put quite as much money in. That's their be their argument. Yeah, but then if you talk to people who actually work in the health uh, care sector, the nurses and the doctors and the other professionals, and they say that the efficiencies have just uh, made their job so much harder. And that they are, they are. I mean, you can cut, you can try and make things efficient, but um, when you have waiting list targets and elective surgery targets that are purely about the targets and and not about actually delivering care. So to the is patient. health. That's interesting. So is health. There are surveys that show health is like one of the if often the top issue with elect, with voters. It's well, a, everyone draws on the health service at some point it, in their life. But even though Coleman's been under pressure on mental health. He's been under pressure with a with a with a health ministry that's had some major issues, certainly major issues, um, funding issues and things and botch ups and stuff. But has he? You know, have they really come under that much pressure on health? I mean, we've done a lot of health stories. We've 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 done those stories. You've done stories about the pressure on the health system. Well, uh, but, but there it, are but more it, and more of these really sad stories. Mm. But you see, for years and years. And this is a cyclical thing. Tony Ryle was in charge of the health service and he did a very good job of managing it and um, keeping a lid on things. But pressure, when you cut and cut and cut and you don't increase funding to a real level, um, the lid eventually boils off and that's what we're starting to see now. We're starting to see an avalanche of sad stories and cases where people can't get the services that they need. And... You know, it just so happens it's in the election cycle, so there's more pressure on the government. But this happens to every government. That's inter- you know, there's mm. o- oh no, it does. And like Labour, like I remember at Labour um, near the final of the t- the last Helen Clark government, they literally one one of those budgets they just put like a monster amount of money. They had these big surpluses, huge surpluses, and they just threw. I think it was seven hundred million extra mm-hmm. went to health, and 
I mean, I, I mean, I think the budget this year was about six hundred million mm -hmm. extra. So you think that was nearly ten years mm -hmm. ago? They put this huge injection in, mm -hmm. and I wonder whether that's just what you're going to have to do. What, what, what someone's going to have to do at some point. Well, uh, and uh, and then is there a wider question about how we fund healthcare? Because if you look to the UK and the NHS, I mean, the NHS is a massive black hole of funding. You can, it's the largest employer in the mm. world. You can never keep up with demand. In the US, it's a mass healthcare funding is a massive election issue. So, do we really? Does it need to go back to ideology? And do we need to start talking about how we fund healthcare? It's a hard conversation. It's a, it's a government, terrible what government conversation. Left to have or to right have. wants to have that conversation. But unfortunately, that's the way the world. We're we're just living longer, and the yes. pressure on the healthcare system is is so great that maybe we have to have another look at this. All right. On that note, um, let's talk about the prefu, which of course is slightly different than the bifu or the haifu. <laughs> Oh, girl. I got I silly about this. I, I woke up this morning <laughs> and I saw, I saw someone tweeting about, <laughs> oh, it's pre-food day. And I thought, how silly. Who tweets that? And then I thought, no, nah, actually, I'm quite excited about this too. Because, um, and for those who aren't, aren't aware, the pre-foo is the pre-election economic fiscal update, which is a traditional opening of the books. It's written into law. has to happen before 30 or 40 mm -hmm. days before an election. can't remember the exact one. 30 days before an election. The high foo is the half-year economic fiscal update. comes mm -hmm. in December just to wrap things up in the year. And the BFU, of course, is the budget economic fiscal update, which is in the budget. So we get very excited about the budget. I mean, budget day is a big... Oh, budget's a big... It's yeah. a big day for us political geeks. Um, but actually, the preview is even more because um, it's exciting because it only comes around once every three years. Yeah, no, it, it is exciting because it's like... Um, it's like sort of this sort of rule book's been slapped on the table for the campaign. And, and, um, mm. and, and it's kind of cool in a way that um, the parties... That, like. Labour and National, the big parties and the other parties, they kind of, well, maybe maybe not some of the other parties, but, but they, they kind of <laughs> buy into it. They say, okay, these You're are the rules. About. Do you know what I mean? We got, they go, yeah, yeah. okay, these this are the rules, so we're going to play by the rules. Yeah, this is what we've it's got to spend. It's a good thing spend. about democracy. Absolutely, this you is know? what we've got to spend. But maybe we should give it a sexier name. Maybe we should come up with a new name for next time. For the, Instead of the prefu? Yeah. The, or we can sort of just say it differently, the prefu. Mm. I like prefu. I like I, I like. I like I don't mind prefu. Oh, I'll go with yeah. the prefu. Anyway, let's have a listen to the, let's have a listen to uh, let's have a let's have a little recap on that. The economy's been rolling along nicely recently, and today served up a budget surplus for this year that's a whopping two billion dollars ahead of the forecast. Uh, it demonstrates that with good management uh, and a strong economy, you can have surpluses, and this actually makes New Zealand one of the relatively few countries in the developed world that has the positive choices that go with a strong economy and strong government books. But for those hoping that it'll mean a big election year spend up, Treasury had a reality check. However, we're not expecting all of that strength in tax revenue to continue throughout the forecast period. In other words, this year's money is a blip. Growth is set to slow. And when forecasts are taken over four years, there's actually not much extra cash. So the finance minister today chose to put a second round of tax cuts from National on hold. If we were able to do it, would be in around 2020, unless uh, economic conditions were significantly better. Mr Joyce also trying to put the heat back on Labor's plans. There's actually quite limited room, uh, and that actually applies to all parties. Either they'd have to raise further taxes revenues if they wanted to do more expenditure, or increased debt. But Labor says its promises are affordable. As you know from our fiscal plan, we have a slightly slower uh, mm. debt track uh, repayment than, than the national. Mm. We believe that on uh, the settings that we have there, 
with the additional revenue that is available as a result of today, we can meet all of our plans. And Jacinda Ardern is now ruling out a hike on the top tax rate. Um, so we will not be campaigning on a top tax rate. Um, I have no intention of giving that to the tax working group that we'll be establishing and it's not part of our plan. But still no details on promises such as an enhanced free tertiary education policy. Some of those things we've held back till we could have a chance to look at the books and then announce exactly what we're going to do and exactly how we'll pay for it. So National and Labor going blow for blow on the critical issue of financial credibility. There's still much to learn. Alright, the thing I think is interesting about what, what we got from the preview was um, Joyce, bang, no tax cuts. And it's just such a classic strategic move like cat and mouse move to put the pressure back on Labor and force them, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, he, he, the Treasury does it, like for those people out there who are mm -hmm. sceptical, the government doesn't get to like write the forecasts. I know some people sometimes think that. No, they would love to. Oh, they'd love to. <laughs> but you can imagine that came across Joyce's desk and he thought, oh, hello, here's an opportunity. We could squeeze them. Well, I know, because when I saw, you were in the lockup, I mm. wasn't, but when I saw the numbers come out at midday, I was, it was very odd because growth is softening and, It'd be a very odd, any other election campaign, it'd be very odd for a government to, to sort of breathe a sigh of relief over a softening I growth. I mean, it's a very small... Tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. But enough to... But to it, it, did, it did give National maybe something more of a weapon that they've yes. been lacking. I mean, that that Jacinda Mania has sort of rolled over them and they have looked like they're, they just didn't know what to do with it. They, no, didn't, they, know, didn't. they didn't know how to come back at her. And, and, then, and then, well, the big issue of tax. And can I just take a little yes. delicious moment here to just for our little podcast mm. to, claim, to claim credit on this, because we were talking about capital gains tax with Bernard Hickey last week, yes. and we said that tax is going to be one of the big issues. And here it is. It came round sooner than I expected. Absolutely but just send our germ was pretty clear with the voters this week about capital gains tax, and then again on the... Um, top tax rate. On the top tax rate. So I didn't expect it to happen so quickly, but we got some clear answers from Yeah, her. I'm still trying to work. I think it's too early to say whether Labour is going to be vulnerable over this. I think um, the initial reaction from Grant Robertson and Jacinda Ardern today was solid. Mm. They didn't. I don't think there were any slip-ups. Mm. We still need to see the detail of the of their fiscals, which they'll release next week. There's the student... I think it's when that student policy comes to, mm. they're going to bring it forward. Yes. And it's going to cost more money. Yes. And they're going to need to show clearly where it comes from, and that's when National will go in for the kill and try and, and, try and really say that this is um, unaffordable. So until we see that little bit of detail, that's when I think... Um, but the lines are certainly being drawn at this point in the mm. election campaign. I mean, we've, it's just been chaos up yeah. until this point. But the lines are being drawn, and I think what's quite interesting now about how this election campaign is shaking down, because before everyone's been crowding around in the centre and talking about, you know, who's going to be who's going to get the, those floating yeah. voters in the centre, but now we have more of an... We've got our ideological lines are being drawn Drag here, and and at, you're looking at national, and it looks like a party of the right, well centre right, yes. and you're looking at Labour, and it looks like a party of centre left, and there are they're, they're, they're both big broader churches, aren't they? They've, they've sort of like Labour sort of like hoovered up like that bit on the left, and it's suddenly now it feels like that broad church again. Yeah, but it's changed from. I mean, when you looked at John Key, you, he was he was clearly a man of the centre, you know, mm. and. He captured that centre vote really, really well. But now, yeah, like I say, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not in a very coherent no, 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 way, but I, I'm, I'm trying to say the lines are being drawn are, and, it, and, and it, we can recognise who's left and who's right. And these are the terms on which the election battle is going to be fought. And I quite like that. No, it's a nice way of doing it. Hey, let's, let, let's do something we should try and we should touch base on this again next week, see if it's still happening. The Jacinda train, the Jacinda mania, it's still rolling on. 
Do you get any sense that, that well, Nationals has been able to knock the train off the tracks? No, the train, oh my God, the train is a juggernaut. It is. Um, and she just goes from strength to strength. But to be fair to, and I can see where Peter Dunn was coming from this week. We did all get swept away into Cindermania and it was superficial, but then the John Key's election campaigns were always mm. superficial. But I think to be fair to Jacinda, she handled the big crunchy issues this week really really well with the issues capital on gains. capital gains that she drew she decided um the pressure was on her she decided to come out and that and was a captain's call it was a captain call yeah yeah, yeah we talked about this it was yeah. really interesting that fascinating that she made that call mm. and she she does look like a leader she's um reversed some of andrew little's um decisions and yeah i th- i think um in terms of leadership i th- she, there's more to her than a magazine cover for me there's def- she's definitely got the grunt there and I think she's starting to prove us all wrong because up until she took over that leadership we were all questioning whether she had the chops whether she could yep, do it whether she did. could go head to head with Bill English on, on the economy and on the meaty issues and well, she's just done it two days in a row absolutely I just I cannot wait for our first debate it's going to be brilliant it is going to be a ripper and that is actually only a week away and on that note we will finish things up a week away to the debate oh so exciting that is going to be I can hardly contain myself boy that is going to be massive hey thank you very much for listening to us that has been ins- uh, this has been Inside Parliament our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering on One News it is available every Friday morning throughout the campaign on the One News Facebook page or find us by searching for Inside Parliament on iTunes SoundCloud a bit of a change to things next week we're actually on the road with the campaign leaders so we'll be outside Parliament we'll see you next week (laughs) 